listen You can hear their hearts beating Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, demythologizing and deconstructing the Thanksgiving Day holiday as we hear from three prominent Native American women from different nations on their perspectives on what Thanksgiving means. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines the lone through air in the black of the night you can hear you can hear the whisper in the valley mm-hmm. and you know when come a candy blows to the bar who drum it's the warriors who are marching The fourth Thursday of every November signifies the mythological and settler colonial violent holiday known as Thanksgiving. In fact, 1970 signifies as the 350th anniversary of the Pilgrim Landing approached when Wamsuda, known as Frank James, a member of the Aquanaw Wampanoag Nation, was invited by Massachusetts Governor Frank Sargent to write and give a speech at the ceremony. But when James shared his speech with Massachusetts state officials, he was told the speech was too aggressive and extreme. Subsequently, state officials asked him to read a statement written by a public relations professional instead. James refused, and the censorship of Frank James' speech helped spark the creation in 1970 of the National Day of Mourning, a gathering held every quote-unquote Thanksgiving on Coles Hill in Plymouth to honor indigenous ancestors and the struggles that Native people face today. At the location of the National Day of Mourning lies a plaque titled National Day of Mourning, and it states, Since 1970, Native Americans have gathered at noon on Coles Hill in Plymouth to commemorate a National Day of Mourning on the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, Many Native Americans do not celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and other European settlers. To them, Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their lands, and the relentless assault on their cultures. Participants in National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggles of Native peoples to survive today. It is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as protest of the racism and oppression which Native Americans continue to experience. Today on American Indian Airwaves, in part one of a two-part interview, Marcus Lopez has the honor and pleasure of speaking with two Native American women who are activists and cultural educators, plus more. Melody Talcott is of Seneca, Cherokee, and Potawatomi descent, and Kawasante McGregor is of the Kanawaki or Mohawk Nation. They both join us in part one of this two-part interview on what is Thanksgiving. We start with Melody Talcott introducing Gawasante. Well, we're talking to Gawasante McGregor, uh, Bear Clan mother of Kanawaki. 
I'm speaking in my the Ganyageha language of the Ganyangahaka people, which is people of the Flint or Spark. I said, welcome everybody. My name is Gawizande. My Gawizande name uh, means uh, um, icicle melting. My colonial name is Carol McGregor. I'm Ganyangahaga, which is Five Nations Iroquois Confederacy or Five Nations Confederacy. The French people call us Iroquois because we all speak uh, same Iroquoian language. Um, and the British refer to us as Mohawk. And Mohawk, in, to them, uh, referred to uh, flesh eaters or cannibals. And I live on the reservation called Ganawage. Uh, Ganawage means on or by the rapids which is uh, like 15 minutes away from uh, across the St. Lawrence Seaway from the island of Montreal, where we refer to it as um, Jojage, or, uh, and Jojage means um, the place where the people divide from. Thank you, Alexander. My name is Melody Talcott, and I am Nero Dagwado, and I'm Tukuyagea, Galagan, Yoya, Nidua, Amak Galaganiana, and my English name is Melody Talcott. I descend from the Seneca, Cherokee, and Potomac people, and uh, I'm honored to be here today. And I invited uh, Gawazande to speak with me because the topic today is uh, Thanksgiving. And the Haudenosaunee people have a Thanksgiving address. This is the prayer. And um, could you speak to us about that, Gawazande? Yes. We call it the Ohonagariwadekwa. It means the words that come before our elf. And it's one of our original ceremonies that we do. And when we do it, um, we do it for before we have uh, a ceremony or we do it before we uh, have a meeting or uh, council. We also do it when we wake up in the morning. Um, you can do anything like a small uh, Thanksgiving address uh, where you just thank the, um, like when you're thanking the bird life, you thank, like, in general, all the bird life, or uh, if you're on the other side of the spectrum, you could thank um, the eagle, the sparrow, the owl, the raven, the, or you can go and make it along Ohandagari with Ekwa. And uh, the way I like to do it is uh, I like to thank the three levels of creation and start with our foundation which is all the bug life and the insects that um, cleanse uh, creation of all sickness and diseases uh, that are within the earth and on the earth. And if without them, um, we wouldn't have everything that is around us. And one of the reasons why I like to start with uh, the bugs and the insects, uh, which we call Odinuwasu'a, uh, all the insects, is because um, they're very tiny and because they're very tiny, uh, people sometimes think uh, that they're higher and above those little tiny creatures, but they don't realize all the functions that these little tiny creatures uh, do for the people. I mean, we could, um, the earth can live without people, but the earth can't live without all these little tiny creatures. And basically, when we give thanks to everything in creation, these are all our brothers and sisters. So we are no, um, we are not bigger or higher uh, than any of these other things that are around us, from the rocks to um, 
the raindrops to everything that around us. So, and one of the important uh, reasons to give thanks for these little tiny creatures is to make sure that people understand that they have a place uh, as guardians and protectors of all of creation. That is um, their function as, as people when they're protecting the, uh, the bug people, the rock people, the tree people, uh, the animal people, um, all these things that were put here, uh, not, not for us, but for, to make all life possible. And we give thanks to all of these things to make sure that we keep them sacred. And when you keep something sacred and remember that it's sacred, then you protect it. And that's why Native people have the ceremonies, because even though um, year after year the cycle continues and the, light, the cycle is um, every year uh, the sun rises and sets. We have uh, over here where I live, uh, we have the four seasons, um, night and day and everything like that. Uh, it, the cycle is, is the same over and over again, but what people don't realize is that you can learn, you learn something new at every ceremony. And what's cool about the ceremonies when we do the Ahanda Karigadekwa um, is that people um, realize that how we fit into this world. Everyone has a place, everything has a function. I think right now in today's society, there's a lot of people who are lost because they don't um, they're not taught that they have a place and responsibility. They're basically wandering around, and I think that's one of the problems that that is uh, facing us is that people are not reminded uh, that there is ceremony. And then whenever I talk to um, Native or non-Native people, I remind them that there's, there is ceremony, and they just have to remember it. And it's all got to do with the cycle the cycle of life. It's not what just what the natives do. It's what all all creatures did. Um, like for instance, the maple. When we talk about the maple loss uh, time, uh, the maple tree just does what it does. Mm. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it's not told what to do. It just does that. It's only human beings that decide and have a choice every day um, in whether or not. To, to do their instructions, their original instructions that they were given a long time ago. Um, and when people, that's why um, the Ohanda Garuidekwa is there to remind people that they have to do these things. It's their responsibility. Oh, thank you so much. That was wonderful. And about this, since we're talking about Thanksgiving, thanks taking to the American celebration, but especially with all the myths about the first Thanksgiving, about this information that goes out that doesn't even match what you said right now, the important things, what you said, Native people, and that's why I think it's important to talk with you because in the West, here, they really don't know in six, around 1621, that was whole, we have a whole different history but we don't know what went on in the East. You're talking about ceremony with nature and the original instructions. Um, Melody, what yes. did you think, what did you think of what we just heard? Yes. Well, I've been thinking 
long and hard, and I do this every day, I think, about first contact because my ancestors were there. And the, the story of the first Thanksgiving is a lie. And the, the people of the first Thanksgiving are the Wampanoag people. And I, I do not speak for the Wampanoag people, but I can speak for my ancestors. And what, what happened here long ago was that Thanksgiving was every day, every minute of every day, as the Chalazande explained to us, something that our ancestors did from time immemorial, according to the original instructions. And what happened here with uh, that uh, Thanksgiving myth is a cruel distortion of the actual story. And although I cannot speak for the Wampanoag people, their history, from the way I understand it, the idea of pilgrims and what has become the, the, the national myth originated in the 1850s as a sort of a retelling of the story with leaving out what really happened. And so what, what really happened is that um, contact started long before that. It started in, in, the, in 1520, 1530, and uh, ships arrived and people came and diseases came with them. And a lot of times um, these ships were received in kindness and in the old way as people traded from the Aleutian Islands to Patagonia forever. And so when, when these people came and they were sick and they were hungry and they suffered from scurvy crossing the seas, the people all up and down the East Coast, from Labrador down to my people in Virginia, would uh, receive them, give them food. This happened with the Powhatan Confederacy that I descend from, uh, the Pamunkey and the Potomac people. Um, they would give them food. They would um, help them survive. And, um, and there was a completely different understanding of what was going on there. And with the first Thanksgiving that people remember now, the understanding was that these people would settle in a friendly manner um, and have the welcome extended to them with um, permission to live on the land that was the land of the people here. But instead, those, those understandings, those treaties, those commitments were broken from the very beginning. And uh, the story is a very, very sad one. And the Native people are left out of the story. The story of the Pilgrim Fathers is a colonial story that um, soon leaves out uh, the terrible genocide that happened immediately. So... Thank you very much. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Gawasante McGregor and Melody Talcott on demythologizing and deconstructing the Thanksgiving Day holiday here on American Indian Airwaves. And now back to the interview. I was taken aback by the strong commitment to tradition, the strong commitment to honoring the we talked about the climate crisis, but all the young people and not so young people talked about bits and pieces, but just reminds us of this discussion, reminds us of the everyday being thankful. My question is to both of you is what do you want the young people to, to see in this time? It's not because it's not only in reaction to the myth, but also it's a reaction to colonialism in the settler society and that the truth has been hidden. What can you say about not only the truth, but yet how we interpret the, you talked about the original instructions. What 
message you want to tell the American public at this point? Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, well, um, I talk with a lot of people, and uh, a lot of times I ask them, um, like immigrants and things like that, well, they're all immigrants, but um, <laughs> I ask them, um, where are you from? And then they're like, or what, what, what nationality or what ethnicity you are? And then they're like, oh, I'm Canadian or I'm American. And I'm like, yeah, well, what were, you, what were you before that? Oh, well, I'm Canadian. I'm American. And they, they don't want to go farther than that. Um, a lot of these people don't, uh, they feel like they got um, birthright status uh, because their ancestors uh, came here. And now because they were born here, that they uh, automatically um, are uh, have rights to this land. And they don't realize that... Um, how their ancestors got this land is was illegal, and uh, so a lot of times um, they don't want to talk about it because sometimes they feel guilty, and and then because they feel guilty, there's no dialogue, and then sometimes there's a wall in between. Uh, but when we when we talk about it with them, we share the Ahanda Garigodekwa and all the uh, the things about ceremony. Uh, and the political process is because this is what my ancestors, the medicine that my ancestors gave their ancestors when they first arrived here. Um, it's just that they've forgotten it and they didn't uh, pass it down like how Native people passed down things uh, from generation to generation. Um, oral discussions about um, uh, like the history of how things got to be the way it was. So... Um, that's one of their things that they have to bring back. They have to honor that. They have to um, have a discussion with Native people uh, who might be in their face right now, uh, but you can't let that, um, that guilt or um, that uh, misunderstanding or miscommunication stop them from doing what's right now, which is to make sure that um, they're uh, not only themselves, but um, they teach their children and their grandchildren um, the proper history and for them to connect to, um, to nature, to make sure that the next generations don't ignore or neglect the Native people that are, are, are around them or are right next door that are their neighbors or what land that their houses are on. That's one of the things that I talk about with um, the, the students that I give presentations to I tell them the house that you're that you're living on, the place that your parents work on, the school that you're that you're uh, being educated on is native land, uh, unceded native territory, and uh, for them to to bring this history back into their classrooms and their homes to talk about these things, and when they hear people talking, for them to correct this and for them to also uh, seek out uh, proper. Uh, information on this, which is which is a native person. We're still living. It's not like they have to go to a museum and look this up. They can go to um, many different native organizations, websites, uh, or or communities or whatever, and and seek out and and libraries and things like that. You know, uh, books that were written. So they they have all of this at their disposal. They just need to pick that up. And Melody. Yes. Yes. What what I. What, our, what my elders have always told me is that every human being is sacred and every human being of every race 
had the original instructions long ago given to them, the original instructions. And therefore, that is natural law. That is the true basis of our life here. And this land is the land, everywhere we go on this land, we're walking on the remains of our ancestors. Like every piece of earth that we pick up with our hands, the ancestors were there. So wherever we walk, and so everyone that is here from anywhere in the world needs to remember that and to remember that the original instructions were given to their own ancestors long ago. So this applies to each and everyone here, that respect for the people that are here and they're still here. So it's a very different way of looking at everything. And as Gawalanda said, there's plenty of people that are still here that one can seek out to understand what all of that means. And this Thanksgiving celebration that everyone is doing is, um, can't be left standing the way it is. One has to go much further back and understand what happened there and give thanks for being on this land and understand that it is the home of the ancestors. So I wanted to talk about this notion of the American society and needing a dialogue with grief and healing. Could you talk about that for a second? You know what's well, um, whenever whenever I do presentations at these schools in Nachochagi, which is the island of Montreal, um, I bring song, I bring laughter, I bring um, music, I bring sound, I bring um, artifacts, I bring things, cuddly things for the kids to look at. I bring uh, the animals. Uh, I remind them that the animals are um, the animals need us. I remind them that um, they all have, even if even the little children uh, in their houses can do things for the animals to to help them. Since we live in a four season climate, to help like maybe make a bee a bee um, hive in their in their yard, or uh, maybe put a bird's um, house on their porch or something like that. And if they don't have one right now, some some of these children don't even have porches. They live in apartment buildings. A lot of times they, they don't know what to do, but it's the information that they pass on that's really important. Um, I've had some kids that I've ta- spoken to that um, challenged their teachers, challenged the history books um, in history class about how much, what chapters, that when, when it comes to Native people and the colonial uh, colonization, they have to challenge that, not just go over it. Because a lot of times, a lot of these places, like the education system and that, they're very uncomfortable in talking to the children about this because they don't want to upset them. Or they don't want the children to go to their parents and be upset about what they learned, about what their ancestors did to um, the Native people. So sometimes they avoid it altogether. But children are very smart. And they they need to know the truth, and they they can handle the truth because um, they're the ones that are const- going to be constructing the curriculum in the future, and they need to challenge it. Otherwise, nothing will change because the institutions out there are not changing. So sometimes it has to come from the youth who are um, uh, are in these institutions that they have to um, recognize. Uh, that it's not it that what they're learning is not good enough and it doesn't go far enough and that's why whenever I'm asked to go into one of these schools 
to do any kind of present presentations, I, I I go and do it because it's needed because they don't have any help in that direction. We have to guide them and we have to give them the medicine. If we believe that, um, like I believe the about the great law of peace, the Guyana Goa, uh, we have that we have the medicine to give them and we have to administer the medicine. It's so important what you're saying. A melody, we asked the question of, and what comes to my mind, indigenous knowledge and how it needs to be shared out there because of the grief and the tragedies of the past and how we not only teach the children, but in order to not challenge, but educate people on the realm of indigenous knowledge about the nature. Talk about that for us. Thank you, Marcus. Yes, I think small children from the very beginning, the uh, parents, um, anyone who's in charge of their upbringing, should um, should find out what land they're on, whose land they're on. I live on the land of the people of the dawn. The word pramunki, uh, my ancestors, also means people of the dawn. So all the Algonquin-speaking people all up, up and down the East Coast called themselves the people of the dawn. And so I live on Abenaki land, which also means people of the dawn in Maine. I'm here right now. And so every day I am aware and I, I give thanks uh, to the people here that were here and still are here for um, uh, welcoming me to keep this land, to, to have my feet on this land, drink the water of this land, uh, to enjoy everything that is here. So every child should be taught, you know, about the territory, the original homeland, the original territory that they are on, that they're privileged to be on, and to acknowledge that every day. Not just a land acknowledgement, which is becoming popular, and then you acknowledge it, and then you move on. It's like, okay, I did my job. That's not, that's not how it should be. It should be a relationship every day. Uh, and you can even put food out, you know, berries, anyone to do that, can do that, to, to, to show that respect and to, to walk in an awareness of where people are standing today, you know, whose land it is. Someone I heard say about the original Thanksgiving of the land of the Wampanoag people, you could say, this land is their land. It's not this land is my land. This, this land is their land. So that's, that's a place to start with every child to make them aware of where they stand, where they live. And what a privilege it is to live in the land of the living peoples of today and the ancestors that were here long ago. So that's the place to start with the healing. Thank you so much. Oh, you talk about the natural law. You talk about connecting to nature. What does that mean to you? Yalazande, can you speak to that? Um, it, yeah, uh, it means knowing your environment. Um, it means how to um, utilize your environment that, you don't um, utilize it so much that you use up all its resources, that you keep uh, and set aside some space for uh, all the creatures that are around it, like my property, for instance. Um, my family owns 12 acres, and we do our best to keep um, the bush um, the same. We don't uh, clear-cut anything and make a big, nice, beautiful lawn. <laughs> it's mostly bush and trees. Uh, so we keep it for the, the birds, the insects, and um, the squirrels and the chipmunks and all the little, all the little creatures that need um, a place to live. 
Um, I don't um, uh, put asphalt or pavement in my driveway, which would probably make it easier for um, me for me to park. But uh, I I don't do that because I want to keep the land as pristine as possible. Um, I leave some dead logs around so that the creatures can have some place to uh, hide underneath and so that birds can find things to eat. I, as much as possible, like when I, when I cook in my house, give offerings to the animals outside, especially since we live in a four-season climate. We need to take care of the, bear, uh, the birds, sorry, um, because it's like a, we have harsh winters over here and some of them, some of them don't make it. Uh, through the winter, um, a lot of people are so happy. Oh, we didn't. We don't have a lot of snow. Oh, great! I don't have to shovel. But they they don't remember that we do need a lot of snow because the blanket of snow covers the roots to, and protects the roots on the uh, around the trees to make the trees strong and gives water to the trees all winter long and helps the maples be very strong and we we have a, lot, a good maple uh, season. And I try to keep like the pickers and all the natural medicines that are, are around us that we, we use, like the burdock and the sumac and different trees like that. I don't cut them because when we have uh, forest uh, programs back here, uh, there's always something that they could pick so that we can have teas or medicines for the, for the people. So it's not just about doing things and remembering the people. I, I talk about the rock people, the bird people, the tree people, uh, all these entities that are here that have a life. Even the fire, when we have a fire, I try to teach the kids, don't throw any garbage in it. Um, that, that fire is giving us life. It's giving us, it's helping us cook. It's giving us protection. It's helping us heat our tea. You got. You have to treat it with respect. It is a living thing. It could. It could hurt you, or it could help you. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Gawasante McGregor and Melody Talcott on demythologizing and deconstructing the Thanksgiving Day holiday here on American Indian Airwaves. And now back to the interview. Same thing like the winter. It could hurt you or it could help you. Everything on this planet is a, is a delicate balance that um, the choices that people make um, kind sometimes tips the scales. So we have to uh, make sure. Um, like in people's yards, instead of bulldozing um, a marshland because they want um, uh, a nice flat uh, grass uh, lawn, you have to leave the natural things alone. Instead of... Um, clear-cutting trees because it's not the pretty tree that you want there. Uh, some people want to plant uh, trees that don't belong here when there's already trees here to begin with. Uh, so it's just about um, not taking too much, just taking enough, leaving some behind uh, for everything that is around us. Thank you so much. It's a lot of things that you described. Uh, one of the... Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because here in the West Coast, our, our climate is so much different. We have quiet seasons, you know, in Southern California. We have blue skies, we have oceans, and we have, you know, like you talked about sumac. We have that in our different medicines, too, that we need to take care of those. what you said, the other people, 
and we need to go beyond what's good for human beings, but within this element that we live in, this, this, the nature. So thank you for those words. I was wanted to ask about not only connecting nature, but what are the challenges that you feel uh, that are around this quote-unquote Thanksgiving that we need to express because we know that Abraham Lincoln declared it a national holiday because he wanted to consolidate the continent and because the culture was so diversified and people didn't know what their what their um their their major role in within this so they made that up. At the same time, what do you feel the challenges of Thanksgiving? We call it Thanksgiving because they took everything. What do you see? the main challenges right now, the challenges we face today. Yes, well, the, the Thanksgiving myth, it, it ends with this happy little story of um, the Wampanoags sitting down for a meal with the pilgrims. And for a long time, for 150 years or so, little child, the children were doing in schools. They had pageants where they dressed up as Indians and pilgrims. And the story of the, you know, the the people of the land just disappeared after that. In other words, it gives the impression that, um, you know, in this case, the Wampanoag people that I do not speak for, but that they um, they just sort of gave in to colonialism, you know, so that, you know, all these happy, peaceful people started the United States, and that is where the, where the story ends. And that is not where the story ended for the people of the first Thanksgiving who were killed uh, in King Philip's War. Um, they, the, the white people called them... King Philip, who, who were systematically killed, held from the land, and, and suffered the, um, the great injustices. So to think of the Thanksgiving story as this happy, happy little story for, for children and the story of peace and intercultural understanding is a big mistake. And um, I would encourage everyone to, to research. Uh, the Wampanoags have a lot to say uh, about their own story. And it's, it's online, and you can read it. And uh, there's a book written, This is Their Land, that um, explains all this. And so one really has to think these things through, and, uh, because it's a terrible story. And, um, and people today, the Wampanoag people, they consider Thanksgiving Day a day of mourning, a day of mourning, because of what, what happened to their, to their people and to their land. So... Um, this holiday, and everyone is going around saying Happy Thanksgiving, and people should uh, look into why they're saying that and where the story comes from. That doesn't mean one shouldn't be giving thanks. All the people of this land have been giving thanks since the original instructions were given to them. So it could be an opportunity to learn how to give thanks in the way of this land. But to just accept this pilgrim and Indian story that gets told by the colonizers is to buy into a story that is not true. And that concludes part one of our two-part interview today here on American Indian Airwaves. We were speaking with Galasante McGregor and Melody Talcott on demythologizing and deconstructing the Thanksgiving Day holiday and what thanks means from two indigenous perspectives. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Standing people like a dream 
The song Standing People by Sandra Sutter off the album Aurora 12 here on American Indian Airwaves. And in the second part of our program today here on American Indian Airwaves, we speak with First Nations or American Indian activist, cultural educator and elder Donna Augustine from the Mi'kmaq Nation. We start with her perspective on what is Thanksgiving. What do I get, think about Thanksgiving? First of all, I'd like to introduce myself to you in my language, which is Mi'kmaq. I just told you that my um, my spirit name is Thunderbird Turtle Woman, and I'm from the uh, Mi'kmaq, from the northeast coast of what we call Turtle Island. Uh, North America, we refer to it as uh, Turtle Island. So we're part of the... Um, we're Mi'kmaq, part of the Wabanaki, the people of the dawn. So, um, yes, yeah, so we experienced uh, contact. We were the first ones to experience contact. And so Thanksgiving, first of all, we give thanks every day. Our ancestors always gave thanks. Um, the first part was in the morning when they first got up in the sunrise ceremonies. They would greet that morning sun, and they would give thanks for that new day. And, you know, they would give thanks for life itself, for water water that is so precious water is life they would give thanks for the trees the spirits of the trees they would give thanks for the animals the fish the birds birds plants everything that lives everything that is so a lot of people think out there think that uh, native people i've heard it said before 
that they think Native people worship the sun. We don't worship the sun. We're giving thanks for that new day. And so where I live is right by the ocean. So when that sun comes up, you know, in the east, we're the ones that greet that sun uh, before anyone else. Unfortunately, uh, one of the things that happened was that um, we experienced first contact before our brothers and sisters out, out west. We experienced colonization and assimilation before the tribes out west. So um, actually there was a time that there was a bounty on our heads and we were caught practicing our ways. Any of our ceremonies, the drumming, there was a time that uh, it was outlawed, it was banned. But, you know, when we think about residential schools, I think the United States had called them boarding schools, they took children away at random and at will. They would literally rip them from, from their mother's arms and take them to these places, uh, trying to beat the Indian out of the child, you know trying to change them because they figured, well, we can't change the, the adults. Let's work on the children. But uh, it failed. Like, they were abused and in many different ways. And I tell people, when we think about residential schools, my dad was a res residential school survivor. He was there from the age of 6 to 16 and, uh, when he, um, he ran away and he joined the Army and he went to uh, World War II. He lied about his age. He told him he was 18, but he was only 16. So he'd rather go to war than remain that place. I'm a day school survivor. And so there was a big push towards um, eradicating our culture, and especially eradicating the ceremonies, because they knew that there was strength in our ceremonies. But we're still here. And so, and we still give thanks every day. You know, we're not bitter. We're not a bitter people. We share. We still share. I want to tell you that um, before contact, our people knew already through ceremony and through prophecy, because our history is not a written history. That's the indigenous people of this land, the entire land. It's an uh, oral-based tradition handed down generation to generation through storytelling, writings on the rocks, for example, pictographs, petroglyphs, and prophecy. And so our people knew through prophecy, prophesied by many tribes, many First Nations, that other races of man were going to land on our shores. And we knew this. So here in the east where we're from, what happened, some of our people, uh, some had to go inland to take the sacred objects and take the teachings with them to protect them until it was time, until it was safe. And according to prophet, and then the other half, and then the rest stayed at the eastern door to guard the eastern door and to keep that sacred fire going. So the ones that traveled inland, in, inland, they were told they were going to stop seven times along the way. The last stop, they were going to see food growing on the water. And can you imagine how long it took them? There were, there were no vehicles back then. There was, they had to, uh, they used canoes, they portaged, they walked. So finally, uh, they stopped that seven times along the way. And then finally, when they reached the Great Lakes with the Ojibwe, where the Ojibwe people reside, there they saw food growing on the water, the wild rice. So they settled there. So we see the Ojibwe people, the Nishinaabe, as our brothers and sisters, we're related. We are related to them. And, but they kept the ways, the ones that left, they kept those ways. And it was the um, Medellin that kept those ways for us until it was time, until it was safe. I'm 70, 70 years old, and when I was 22 years old, um, I got invited to an education conference. And I knew it was going to be more than an education conference. It was in Manitoulin Island, Ontario, with uh, Quimicon, they call it or Wiki for short. I attended my first ceremony, and I just cried because when I was a little girl, 
I didn't speak English until I was um, uh, six years old. That was when I started school. Nobody in our community had a television set at that time. A couple people had radio. And we hadn't traveled, really. But my spirit knew, and I remember telling my dad. So I must have been about four or five years old, and I remember looking at him and telling him, I know that there's still people like us, like natives, that still pray in the old ways somewhere. My spirit knew it. I knew it. And still to this day, when I look at people like that directly in the eye, you know, some tell me, I feel like you're speaking to my soul. I said, I am. It doesn't always happen, but when it happens, it has, it's like, it's like something speaks through me, our ancestors. So when I attended my first ceremony, I cried for the whole, I dreamt about it the night before. I knew I was going to be invited to something. I cried to the whole ceremony. And you're listening to Donna Augustine, longtime cultural educator and elder on demythologizing and deconstructing the Thanksgiving Day holiday. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. And now back to the interview. I just cried because here it was. Here it is. Here it was what I told my dad since I was a little girl. And this is what they took away from our people. I uh, made up my mind after the ceremony, and I said, I'm going to find out who I am as a Mi'kmaq woman, and I'm going to bring this back to my people. And I've done that. I was 22 years old. So when I was growing up, everybody spoke the language. We still had our strong sense of family, strong sense of community. We still had our fishing uh, skills, hunting skills, tracking skills, all those things. The part that was taken away was the ceremonial component. So when we think about children that were sent to residential schools and boarding schools, the atrocities, it was like a safe haven for pedophiles, really. And they, it was horrible what they did to those children. So I tell people, when I think about the children in residential school, you can cut our hair, you can punish us for speaking our language, but you can never kill a spirit. Because we're still here. Our ceremonies are back. And so according to prophecy, when I attended that first ceremony, there it was. They kept it for us, and I brought this back. And so I brought this back to my people. At first, it was just a, my dad and I, and there was a handful of five, and then it grew. And there was no, no elder old enough to teach us our ways, so we had to go fast and ask directly. And so when I fasted, I had prayed for a vision. I, I went and took a little rowboat and rowed on an island all by myself, four days, four nights, no food or water. And I prayed, and I prayed to the Creator, and I cried. And I said, what ceremonies did our ancestors do to Nigma people? And the first ceremony I was shown on that last night, during my, I had like a, a, a vision, like a dream vision. I was shown the sunrise ceremony. How appropriate to give thanks for the day, and it, be, and it begins from there. And so, you know, um, like I said, every day, give thanks. Before we eat, oh, and by the way, through prophecy, we, we knew that um, that other people were going to arrive on our shores. The first thing that our ancestors did, they shared their medicines because the ones that did arrive were very ill. They were dying of scurvy and rickets. They didn't have any fresh food or fresh water for days on those ships. Many didn't even make that those long voyages. So the ones that did arrive, they were very ill. Our ancestors shared the medicinal tea with them, like pine needle tea, cedar tea, and other kind of medicinal teas. And they gave them broth, fish broth, moose meat broth, and they, then they fed them. Then they shared their knowledge. They shared their food, and then they shared their knowledge of how to survive in this new land. Many arrived in the fall. So 
they didn't have time to prepare it. They didn't know how to hunt moose. They didn't know this area at all. They would have froze. And there's here, um, not too far from here, Gobert's Island. There's a history of when some people from France, they arrived. It was uh, late October, first part of November. They would have froze to death if it wasn't for the Mi'kmaq people. So our ancestors had already collected their um, their provisions that they needed for the winter there. They stored, they had dried, not dried uh, berries. They had salted fish, dried meat, all the things that they need for the winter. And so they shared them. They shared them with the ones that arrived. Because even though they were different, it's still our way. It's so important in us to share, to share our food. So you can imagine first contact when down south more, when they, when they first arrived. And they arrived uh, in the fall time when the native people were having their uh, Thanksgiving. The, um, the Haudenosaunee, the Mohawk people still call, they still do their Thanksgiving address with their tobacco. They don't usually carry the pipes they use. They do their prayers with their tobacco, always giving thanks. So when they arrived and it was the fall time, when you think about the, or the, um, all the things that make up a traditional Thanksgiving meal, it was provided. So the wild turkey, the sage that goes into the stuffing, squash, yams, pumpkins, cranberries, all those things were from here. And our people were giving thanks because when you plant a garden, you give thanks give thanks and you ask for the garden to grow you make a request that the rains will come that it will be a good planting season so in the fall when the food is harvested you give thanks you give thanks for the food you put on people come they they are people gathered so our ancestors gathered and they put on a big feast and so when the people arrived the pilgrims you know whoever it is that arrived that's the first thing our, our people did was share their food I don't think they have Thanksgiving in in uh, Europe. I don't think so. I know they have it in Canada, United States, what we call uh, Turtle Island, because it's it's so important for us to give thanks for our food. We're told if you give thanks for your food, if you always give thanks for your food, you share your food, you will always have food. And still to this day we do this. I want to tell you when Iraqi war happened and the troops were sent over there, my nephew and three other Nicomah boys they had gone to the United States because we have dual citizenship. You know, they joined the uh, Marines, well, the forces, because they wanted to, um, or the Army, they wanted to, uh, for a career. They didn't realize that while they are in there, that war was going to break out. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in Iraq. Before they left, you know, we did a ceremony to, for them to, uh, to pray for a safe journey. And I told each and every one of them, before you go, you take a little pouch and you take a little bit of soil from here, Turtle Island. And the spirits of our ancestors are in that soil. That soil is alive. The spirit of this land where the Creator placed us since time immemorial is in that soil. You take that with you. And so if anything should happen to you over there, your spirit will find its way home. But also, when you get really lonely, you hold that pouch and you pray, you know, and it'll it'll take that loneliness away. So they did that. And... Um, so while they were gone, of course, we were, everybody was glued to the set to see if we could find them. And I remember hearing on CNN, they said that the uh, troops were sharing some of their rations uh, with the children. I knew immediately it was the Native people. I knew it. And sure enough, when I talked to my nephew, Ronnie, later, he said, yes, it was us. And it was the Navajo, you know, because it's in us to share that food. So still to this day, we share our food. My brother Jim would say, he emcees at powwows. 
and over here we have traditional powwows. He would say, how many places can you go to nowadays where there's no card charge for the whole weekend, you know, it's free. And he said, and they feed you for free, and they feed you the best. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, you go to Miramichi, about an hour from here, there's powwows there. They give you the best. They'll give you salmon, fiddleheads. Um, when you go to Burnchurch, Gunobudish, over there is salmon, um, lobster. They'll give you not just one, they'll give you all you want, really. And it's still our way. We still share our food. So giving thanks, was giving thanks to the Creator for all, the, and giving thanks for the spirit of the plants. When you give thanks for your food, it is so important. When we make that spirit dish, before we eat, we put a little bit of every food into that dish, usually a wooden bowl or, or even birch bark. And you get, when you're doing that, you're giving thanks to the spirit of the animal that gave up its life for us to live. You're giving light, uh, thanks to the spirit of the plants that gave up their life for us to live. So even the vegetarians, you know, they can still give thanks even they don't eat meat because the plant life, it has to die in order for you to consume it. And then they give thanks for the fish for giving up its life to live. Everything, you give thanks for the water that cooks the food. You also give thanks for the spirit of the fire that goes into cooking that food. So when you're giving thanks for that meal, you're giving thanks for a lot. You're giving thanks that the crops grew well, you know, during that season. You're giving thanks that the, that the rains came. And we are told that when your prayers are answered, when you're giving thanks, you must always give thanks because we don't take anything for granted. We should never take life for granted. And I want to tell you that Indigenous people, uh, we share a lot. We have our giveaways. We're told if you have two of one thing, give one away. You know, we don't need two things. We, we give freely, freely, without uh, needing anything in return. And I remember my dad saying, I don't think, you know, when you talk about collecting things and never giving away, he says, I don't think there's a U-Haul going to heaven, you know, with all the things you can accumulate. So it's very... (laughs) 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 So it's very important that we share. Still to this day, they have to share for survival. For example, the fishermen would share with the hunters. When we were young, people had to share, and they helped one another. Somebody made a boat, built a boat, everybody would come and help. No charge, they would help. They would just help one another. Build your home. And that's the way of our ancestors still to this day. And so Thanksgiving to us is most more than the giving thanks. Oh, thank you for the turkey. Thank you. Know, it's giving thanks for so many things. Giving thanks for our ancestors, because I'll tell you, indigenous people, when we make that spirit dish, we believe that uh, our ancestors, so when we when we eat our ancestors, it's symbolic. You know, they don't come down physically eat the food, but we give them the first and the best. We're acknowledging them. And every ceremony that indigenous people do, our pipe ceremonies, our sweat lodges, every ceremony that we do, we are acknowledging our ancestors, the ones that went before us. We know that in the spirit world, they watch over us. We offer our prayers to the Creator, but we also offer our prayers to the ones that went before us. And we carry our ancestors in our veins, all of us, all people. In our veins is the DNA, you know, of our ancestors. They are within us. They run within our veins. So, for example, my veins, my mom and dad who passed away, my grandparents, so forth, all the way back. And so we believe that um, our ancestors 
when we do ceremonies, we are acknowledging them and we are requesting that their help. The moment of silence is over. And that was longtime Indigenous cultural educator and elder Donna Augustine speaking on the demythologizing and deconstructing of the Thanksgiving Day holiday here on American Indian Airwaves. That concludes our show for today. A special thank you to our guests, uh, Kawasante McGregor, Melody Talcott, and Donna Augustine. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Sandra Sutter, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. And for the innocent, you can't justify why your freedom manifests on their graves. Blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains In a rhythm of resistance We still fight for our lives In this war that never ended We've outdrawn your lives Let our actions speak against our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over